Welcome to Let's Continue the Conversation. Some conversations are inherently difficult to have, especially when they involve race, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Lizzie Morris, and along with my dear friend and co-host, Trisha Broderick, we're here to continue these conversations. We want to see our corporate spaces all over the world be truly inclusive. But for that to happen, everybody needs to be recognized as beautiful in their own right. I am a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. Let's continue the conversation until the whole world understands this. It starts here, one conversation at a time. Let's connect so that we can collaborate to bring about the necessary change to make our world a beautiful place for all humans. If you are finding yourself motivated and inspired, learning something new, or a fan of the show, let us spread the message together. Help us to do that by screenshotting this episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversations. And on Twitter, tweet away, Let's Continue the Conversations and tag us there. It's time to continue the conversation. Let's get started. So I'm Trisha Braddock and I'm Lizzie Mars. Lizzie and I have known each other for many years now. And we've been having these kinds of conversations pretty much from, I think, almost like day one (laughs) of meeting each other and engaging. And recently I was checking in and we were chatting. And at one point, I believe Lizzie said something to the effect of, I just wish people could see this, 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 us talking right now. And I, in that moment went, well, why can't they? Let's just put it online and like, let's have conversations and let people watch and observe us engaging in these kinds of sometimes considered taboo topics that we don't consider taboo. In fact, think that calling them taboo topics actually really, really hurts what we're trying to achieve. So we've been doing this and just picking topics as we go. Occasionally, we might go what we call meta and explain what's happening internally to one of us just so that you understand and be as transparent as we can about that. As Trisha said, we've known each other for a really long time and it is the workplace that got us together and we found a really good place where we could relate with each other. And she's by far one of the realest people that I have known and has stayed consistent throughout the years. So when all the craziness started to happen in the world and I was feeling polarized and locked away, she called me and said, with her very colorful language, several things that made me feel better. And then we started just having some really deep conversations about what was going on. And a conversation became this, where we said, why don't we just do this? You know. So here we are continuing the conversation, which is something we said we would do. So when it had left the media, because I talked about this, what happens when it's gone out of the media and it's not the thing that everybody's talking about anymore? What's going to happen then? I was like, what's going to happen to the consciousness of everybody? And that's when we said the conversation has to keep going. So as a result of that, we are here today doing exactly what we said we would do. We are continuing the conversation. And as a result, you guys are invited in to, you know, hear the conversation. Now, this week's topic, I was a little selfish and picky because it's one that I can relate to in the smallest, smallest ways as a female in tech, but I'm really curious and honestly, and I have questions and things 
about what I've heard in terms of code switching and shifting, especially by Black professionals in terms of when they're at work or in a community or in the environments and what that happens. So I picked this week's topic because I'm selfishly very inquisitive and curious about this and definitely do not understand the full ramifications and impacts and what all happens and how to better support that. So I picked this week's topic for that purpose. So I guess, let me start with what it is in general, you know, not a definition per se, but what happens or what this is in general, and then we can dive in a little bit. So here's what is very hilarious about this. I forgot what the subject was going to be this week, because normally I do a little bit of prep for it, but I forgot. So when we got on, I was like, what are we talking about this week? And she was like, you know, the switching, and the codex, and, you know, turning up and being somebody. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's really cool, because look at me this time. I've kind of come with my twists versus the way most people are used to seeing me, my professional persona with my hair straight and flicked or whatever. So it, this is a perfect example of the code switching. I wouldn't normally show up to a professional environment like this. I just, I just wouldn't, but obviously training from home and my daughter did my hair on Monday. So it's like fresh twists that are happening. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, did a fantastic job. So as a result, my hair, hair, hair is out. Um, and so even that is one of those examples of when we're talking about making those switches, what it is we feel we have to show up at. All these questions are coming to my mind, right? Like why, why, why wouldn't, I mean, like you look amazing and magnificent and powerful and beautiful. Like why would this be something you wouldn't ever show up in a professional state for? Because when I'm showing up as a professional, I don't want to show up as my ethnicity. So you're already going to know there's an ethnicity thing because the color of my skin. Showing the hair just pushes on all those other things that are associated. So you think about people used to refer, and then even your grandmothers referred to you. They'll talk about nappy hair or you've got good hair or my hair isn't as good as yours. There's all these different things. So it's only the people in essence with the mixed hair who would tend to let their hair be out. Whereas the rest of us over the years have always put chemicals on our hair so our hair would be straight. But what is quite interesting, over the past maybe eight, 10 years within the black community, and you wouldn't know this, there's been this movement to go back to our natural hair. So on YouTube, there are all these videos about caring for your natural hair because we've lost the ability to do it because we all have had chemical processes. Well, they found out some of the chemicals were giving people cancer, were causing a lot of women to lose their hair. So the middle was getting really thin on a lot of people because you're literally putting on a chemical that burns through to get your hair straight, right? And a lot of people have had scalp issues. I remember my first perm as a child and the fire on my head and the burning and having to sit there, right? And go through that. And then your scalp peeling for weeks afterwards so you could have the straight slicked back hair and a ponytail. And that's been something we've suffered for generations. There's many black women who've lost the edges of their hair from wearing 
the tight weaves, the tight breasts, all that kind of things, right? All this pressure. Why? To have the look that is presentable and makes us feel we are accepted. And this goes back to the 40s and et cetera when, you know, oh, why do I not have her name? Mary Walker, I believe her name is. When she came up with the perm, right? She came up with it. And then now, instead of black women having what they call the nappy hair, they were able to have it smooth like the other women around at the time. So it's quite a thing. So you always praise another black woman who's a professional who comes out and just has a natural hair. Like, girl. Yeah. I, and that's that. a, I, you. You. You're like, you're like, whoa, really? How is, and you ask the question, so how's it been? <laughs> you, you know, you ask that. But am question. I adding to that because I compliment it? So I don't like know. Your, your original well, statement there's some was people drawing attention to it. And I don't like, so if I compliment, am I drawing attention to it then? If you're complimenting it in a big space and then everybody goes, oh, can I touch it? Yeah. Right. So I was like, oh. Versus it. walking down the hallway and like, girl, you're rocking it today. Right. Like, right. There's a big difference. And most of us have experienced the people touching our hair like we're a dog. Oh, your hair feels so soft. Oh, it feels. Why are you touching my hair? <laughs> I'm touching pregnant bellies. <laughs> don't, don't touch people. It's creepy. Stop it. Right? But that's something so many Black people have endured. Uh, yeah. That right. might have been one of the first lessons I learned about microaggressions and stuff was don't do that. Right. Like that was one of the really early. So I've known that one for a really long time, but so that does not surprise me to hear that in any form or fashion. Or you will have, and there's a video, um, which if I knew we were talking on the topic, I'd have actually uh, got the YouTube <laughs> link if I remembered, but there's this video that shows some of these ones. Like there was somebody who actually got written up because she was constantly changing her hair. Now that's a classic for black females. We change our hairstyles all the time. So you go from, a, you know, a curly weave to a straight weave to braids and you're changing your hair all the time. And you know, some people like colors. So then there's all these different colors. And I remember going, Oh my gosh, you change your hair again. Wow. How do you do that? Right. No, and that's different from yesterday. How do you have long hair today? Yeah. Right. So that's very different from, oh, I love your hair color. Right. Oh, I love that color. Where did you get that color? That's different from, oh, you've changed your hair again. And it's. It's almost this passive, like, I don't understand how it's happening. So I'm going to kind of acknowledge it, but I'm doing it with a slight questions, like, which that, okay. Okay. I'm getting it. So. In that vein, like, I mean, this stuff has been being talked about for a really long time. Like, I remember I loved Living Single. Love that show. And I remember, oh, my gosh, now all of a sudden I blinked out his name, but he was the lawyer on the show. And he, like, he had dreads. The he or the, oh, okay. Was he a lawyer as well? I didn't think he was was a lawyer. The guy, he was a lawyer too? No, he was, no, 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 he wasn't a lawyer. It was the, she was the lawyer. He He was was, the lawyer. Right. was on the stock market. Stock market. Okay, that's it. He was a broker. Yes. Well, why am I why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? I know who you mean though. Is it Kyle? Kyle. Kyle. 
Yes, 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 yes. So there was actually an episode where they told him he wasn't going to get a promotion because he had dreads and he was trying to understand. So if you don't want to draw more attention and I, I can understand that dynamic and then it actually invites almost worse microaggressions and things like that. What does it do to you though, to right off the bat, I'm going to ask a pretty tough question, maybe a vulnerable question in the sense of like, I got to imagine, like, I can even remember watching that episode of Kyle where he was struggling in terms of this is my identity. Like part of these, these dreads are part of my identity. And, and do I give that up for my career? Do I not? And all of those things. And I got to imagine that if you're trying to shift and, and be one thing in the professional state to lessen the draw to who you are, but that also means it's not recognizing who you are, right? Like that there's this lack of acknowledgement for your full self that I, I, I got to imagine causes some serious internal conflicts. I, but you're trained to assimilate. So it's funny when you say that, I think about when a couple of my boys had talked to me about they wanted to have dreads. And I said, not if you're going to live here and you're planning on having any kind of real future. That was what I said to them, right? So I was like, no, you won't. I said, if you want to have dreads, you better own your own business, have enough money in the bank that you don't need anybody. That's what I said to my sons. Right? Because you're not going to go up anybody's ladder looking that way. Now, it may not be nice, but it's a truth we've lived with. So for me, when I did the Agile panel the other day and Yolanda was there and she had, you know, her really strong, very, hey, I'm a black woman, deal with it, right? And a heavy Southern accent. I was just like, how have you managed to have achieved so much and still be so black? That was the thought in my head. Right. That was the thought in my head. And she challenged me so much. And it's not that she put a challenge out there. Right. But internally, I felt challenged because I'm like, all right, I'm 47 years old now and I'm still assimilating. When do you stop? And I remember having this conversation with Devon and I'd had my hair out at the time. And I think it was shorter. So it was like a kind of Afro. And it's like, why don't you just keep your hair like that? I said, no, you crazy. And he goes, well, if people don't want to do business with you because you look like that, screw them. And I'm like, hello, I need the money. So no, I won't be doing that. I will be straightening my hair back out. What's wrong with you? I remember making the statement of, once I have a best-selling book in the industry, then I can probably switch because then people will accept me because I've proven myself. That's what statement I've said to him. So they you, you created control. that line, like that there's no truth in that line or truth before that or after that. It's just, that was, that's the narrative that's been passed exactly. down or communicated. Yeah. And, and Cause you've got to be, it's like, you've got to be at a certain space where you're almost untouchable and nobody can shift your space around you because you've got it solid. Then you can be you. The people who we've seen, as blacks who just are black out there, like say black out loud, are those who are known as activists. So that's their path. They've chosen that path to be vocal and physical activists. So wherever they go, they know they're out loud. They have made the conscious choice to deal with any of the repercussions of that. 
So they are aware that there's times that will get in the way, times it will stop, but they don't care and they're unapologetic and they're going to do it anyway. And we need them because they give us confidence to put your foot in the water at least a little bit. So it's like even training from home. Most of the time until maybe I would say the last month, yeah, maybe the last month or so, every time I've trained, I've made sure my hair is still my branded look even though I'm at home, I've still got my branded look when I go in front of a screen and everybody sees me. Do you feel like then two different people or do you, is it, is it like a costume for you? And I don't mean to say that. In a, it's probably more like, I would say, I would say it's more like a costume. Okay. Because still you, I'm still me. My personality is the same. I don't change anything but, about but I that some people do like that that's even like part of it is is the personality too well i'm not going to suddenly start talking ebonics or patois <laughs> right i'm not going to do that one let me tell you something which is fabulous um i do trainings for the caribbean right i try to have trainings that are just like all caribbeans just together when i have the the jamaican training right and i have people from different islands I've gone on that training and I've had my big heavy twist because I'm with fellow Jamaicans. I can do that. And I've taught Patwood the whole, pretty much through the whole training. I would never talk like that. So that training, whenever I'm doing that, I am my realist self, my most authentic self. Now, when I do regular training, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be my professional self. Do you ever bring a flavor of it in though? No. No? Not, not, not in the slightest. When I'm doing professional stuff, I am my well-spoken British person. Queen's English. Right so what's now. going through my head right now is I think of how amazing you are. Like I think about how much my life is better for your friendship and your engagement in my life. And I get to see some of these. Oh, well, yeah. So you've right? got to see, you've got to see me. You've got to see me that because you've come inside the circle. So you get the authentic me. I'm just being honest. Like it makes me sad that there are people that are missing this really amazing, unique part of you that has added so much to my life. But like, I think for others and the whole dynamic where this internal struggle and this dynamic and the real, I'm not even judging you for doing it. I can understand why people do it. Like, this is why it was so selfish of me to want to do this topic was because it makes me mad because I just feel like the world is losing out on amazing people because we've made it hard for them to be their full, true, authentic selves. But the problem that's happened with being your full, true, authentic self in that sense of true authenticity is it creates a stigma of you're not necessarily as intelligent or there's something wrong with you. And it's like, if there is some kind of racial bias, it will really turn it on in somebody else real loud. Right. So it's like, you're going to trigger it off in somebody else. Do you want to trigger it off? No, you don't want to have extra at you. So it's best to go with the, it's kind of like, I'll give you a classic, right? When I used to go to India, not like in the recent years, but when I used to go to India for mission trips, 
I would never go into what then was called Chennai in regular Western clothes. I would never do. It would be insulting to go to somebody's house dressed like that and not have my hair covered and wear appropriate garments. Do you know what I mean? I would assimilate because it was a show of respect. Respect for that culture. Okay. Exactly. So there is a culture that exists. It's changing, but primarily there's a culture that exists in the corporate world. And that culture has existed, period. So I remember one of the problems I had when I moved to the U.S. was how casual the corporate environment was to me in the U.S. based on what I'd grown up with and worked in in the U.K., when we went to work, we were suited and booted, dressed up shirt. You bought shirts from Pacific places that were tailor-made for you. There was like a whole look associated. So there was a work uniform. When we come to the U.S., the U.S. didn't have a work uniform as such. I found it very, very lax. But there was still the concept of the one uniform you must show up in is the white uniform, if that makes sense. So although there wasn't necessarily a dress code per se as such, because people here for me were just like overly casual at work, right? But again, that's my snotty British bias, right? (laughs) Right, coming out there. But you should at least come as this is what professional looks like. This is what professional sounds like. So you should speak clearly. I mean, I remember listening to people on the telephone and clearly being able to tell who's white and who's black. And I remember making this comment to my mom, why would they want them to know they're black? They're only going to be racial against them. That makes no sense. Why don't they talk properly? That's what I used to say. Because I'm like, you're putting yourself on blast. They know who you are right now. So you've got no shield. Which then is just victim blaming, right? Like you're putting it on to, yeah. Right. Whereas... How I was raised, when I put up the phone, I'm 100% shielded. So you will never know you're talking to a black woman unless I choose to tell you. But my mother, in having me raised the way I was raised, made sure I had that shield. So there's people who I was raised with, if you listen to them, there is parts of the dialect that pop out, that can be heard. My mother insisted that we never did that. So we'd always have our shield. Wow. What's going through my head right now is as you're talking with these things, I said I could probably relate to like a small sliver and the small sliver that I can relate to in the sense of as a female in tech, you know, I've been told emotional, loud, passionate, you know, all of these things that traditionally do not get described to a male doing the exact same things as, as I'm doing but I couldn't turn it off. The whole concept of somebody saying, well, Trisha, if you just sit there and be quiet, like that was so not in the realm. Like that was a shield I could never actually invoke ever. Right. And so I actually just had to go, I'm doubling down on it. And it's going to be part of what I bring to the table. You either like it or not. Like there's usually not an in-between with me. People either really like me or they really don't like me. There's no like, oh, Trisha, she's okay. Like there's not, you like, I don't usually get this, like the middle of the road. Like people either really like me or they really don't like me. But because for me that the shield that might've made it a little bit easier where I wouldn't have dealt with some things that I dealt with in my professional career was just never an option. 
it just wasn't something I could pull off. I still can't even pull it off when people are like, Trisha, you know, you should smile more. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give you a smile while I give you, you know, like it was never a shield that I could enact. It just wasn't even something that I could hide. And so for me, I just doubled down on it and right or wrong, I think what I struggle with this even more is because I see what else is there, right? And if I stop and I think about it in terms of my friends, as you point out, I don't know if I really think about it often, like the Lizzie I get to interact with and stuff. And when we're in a main room of like a region, I don't even know if I notice that because I just see your whole self, right? And I, I'm like, well, she's showing up however she wants to. But I even think about it in my non-professional personal friends and And I go, yeah, some of the conversations we have and versus what they can say in front of other people, I've always known was there. It makes me so sad because I think it is a loss for everybody else of what they miss out on this amazing parts of somebody that we don't get to share in because we've created a hostile environment for it. I struggle. So this is me going meta, right? Like and not wanting, it's not about me, but then there's a part of me that's I want to like, I'm in shame, I'm in anger, I'm in like all these things because we've done this to ourselves. And then we wonder why someone can't. And, and it just, it's, it's just sad. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have known of close friends of mine who didn't get promoted because there was a question of how well they thought they could communicate. And it's just simply saying you've got too much of an accent. Now, growing up in the UK, at the time when I was young in my career, you know, like in your early 20s kind of thing, people who were senior managers were all people who'd gone in essence to grammar and prep school. So they spoke what you guys may interpret as kind of, you know, aristocrat English, what we call the Queen's English. They spoke like that. And only if you spoke like that could you raise up. You would never get to those high positions if you didn't speak like that. You would always be on the bottom mid, you know, mid tier. Now things are so different because I and I always laugh at this now. Well, but that's a good thing. Is that it's no, it is. It is. It's it's a great thing. But I mean, I think of people I know now in the UK who've got the strongest, like brummy West Midland accent and sound like they're just talking from Dudley but way up would never have happened back in the day you see now that things are changing as much as there's horrible stuff going on I still have seen different levels of progress so what is something that makes it easier for people to like what are things that I or others could tangibly do that help people, especially, you know, black, but B-I-P-O-C in general, but be able to be their full selves. I don't know. I don't know what would. Media is naturally making it better. And what I mean by that is that there's more pictures of blacks with their hair in its ethnic form. It's seen more fashionable now. So it's kind of like a fashion statement, right? way more than you would have seen years ago. So that's hurting it or helping? It? No, that's helping. Okay. So okay. There's, there's, so that's definitely helping. 
But we're still not seeing, I think the only, the lady who used to run Xerox, who was the CEO of Xerox, can't think of her name off the top of my head now, oh gosh, but she had an Afro, small Afro, right? And I remember when I saw her in a small Afro and I was like, what? She's rocking an Afro. Okay. (laughs) Right. But my question to myself was, did she rock the Afro all the way up there? Or did she rock it after she got there? I didn't have an answer to that, but it was a question I asked. So there's still, until it's the normal. So you look around and you will see black women, black men in high positions looking that way. I mean, right now, if you were going to look at senior, senior roles that blacks have who are men outside of the entertainment industry, because that don't count. Outside the entertainment industry, how many men would you see with locks? Do you know what I mean? I have... The uh, fact that I even have to pause and think. You have to think about it. I had a mentee I was mentoring a couple of weeks ago. I was going for an interview and he was going to be on screen. And he had a beard and, you know, a little afro. And literally, I, you know, I looked at him and I said, you're going to fix that up, right? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to calm down. I said, okay, I just want to make sure. So I'm going to challenge that for a second and going, does that perpetuate that though more and more with the next? It, I, I would agree with you that it perpetuates it, but I don't oh, want to see that guy get more protective, right? Yeah. Right. And not get through because most of the people who are interviewing him are my age or older. And we have it. means trust. no, and they've got it wired in. Okay. So you've got a black male and what makes people feel more comfortable in general is a black male who doesn't look threateningly black. Let's use Devon classic, right? Devon always comes up looking threateningly black. You probably explain who Devon is though. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry guys. Okay. So <laughs> Devon is the other half of the bearded eagle, other half of me type thing. And he's African-American and he's dark skinned African-American. So he's not even yellow, so to speak, as we would say, right? Or high colored. He is dark skinned and he is big built. So he looks and comes off threatening. And he is the stereotypic thing, almost like the fear factor that people have of blacks is what he presents with someone. And he's always serious as well. So he can't give his smiles in public. So that doesn't make things any easier. So the idea is to look less like that if you're coming into the door straight up. So then people are calmed and feel okay. So I had somebody say, I was talking to somebody who's starting up some new business ventures and they wanted me to do some um, advertising for them and kind of do some spoke speak poor things. And they go, you know, cause Lizzie, you kind of just sit over everything. <laughs> and I laughed at it. Right. And I said, okay, I know what you mean. People have said, they go, yeah, cause you know, you're kind of neutral ish. You know, with your accent and everything, you know, you kind of just sit over it. So I think you're worse. It's all a microaggression. <laughs> there was a wasn't there? Just, yeah, all so of much that, the microaggressions going so on. Okay. much in that, right? But the conversation was being had by a black person to me. So I get it. And I get what they were saying. And they wanted to have a face out there that kind of represents society. But we don't want it pushing society away. So it's not just even a switch of 
professional and or tr- and I guess maybe actually the words that you used earlier that I might I might try and incorporate more is is like trusted and interactive, right? Like there's like, you have a trusted circle and that could be in professional setting. That's why I don't even know if I really would call personal professional. Cause I know some of my friends, they have personal friends that have never seen their full selves. So I don't like saying personal and professional. It's almost like that trusted <laughs> circle or, you know, willing to collaborate and engage with, but not trust kind of environment. It's not just even a Here's my persona for here. There's almost like levels of codes. There's different. There's totally. If I thought when, if I were really to sit down and break down all the different levels of code that I've worked through and switch in at, out of, I might have to diagnose myself as a mildly, yeah, with a personality disorder. Quite frankly, if I really was quite honest and thought about it. Because, and I think a lot of us would probably have to do that, because depending on our environment, you switch into this, you switch out of that, you switch into this, you switch into this. Okay, so I'll give you a classic. That's This is probably more funny. When I'm around church people, highly kind of what I'd call Pentecostals, Blacks, there is a language set I will use around them that I wouldn't use around other people. And there's been times I've switched into it. And I remember one time my PR said, I didn't know you could talk like that and do that stuff. I said, oh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a switch. And you code switch for that audience of those people you're speaking to. So Are you doing it even consciously anymore? Or is it completely unconscious? I would say it's almost in most cases. And the professional space, it's probably more conscious. But in other spaces, there's a trigger that'll turn certain parts on. So there'll be a word and my brain will know, start speaking like this. Okay, this is the language that we're talking to. These are the references that we'll use. And these are the examples that we we'll use when we're talking there. And then if we're here, this is what we're going to switch into. And this is what we're going to use. And these are the examples we're going to use. But if I am talking to somebody I do not know, or somebody I do not trust, I will be 100% British correct, proper. 100%. No slang of any kind. I will speak the Queen's English at the most snottiest, condescending tone ever. That is who I will show up as. And if I started out casual and I get pissed off, I go one hot, like just spin it. As you said earlier in the conversation, it's your shield. Yeah, I immediately go to that because it's it's like, that's the place. And on top of that, again, having that default British code of correctness and non-emotion, that's kind of very trained into most British people have that sense of we don't express emotion. We're not going to let you see how we feel. Just switch into it. And I remember that working against me once. In fact, when I was on my CST journey and everybody said, well, you seemed very collected and like there was nothing wrong. You were fine. Like you'd gathered yourself. (laughs) And I thought, damn being a British person. But isn't that a good thing too? (laughs) Well, I guess it's good that I've got the skill set to be able to do it. But in the time, it would have done better for me if I had allowed them to see how I was actually really feeling. 
I know, but that's, I mean, I don't, okay. We, we're going to have that whole conversation. Later, <laughs> too, I, guess, I, but, so, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's, but you yeah. Know, so there's times you don't want people to know how you're feeling. So it's great. You're protected. You're shielded. You've got shield for this, shield for that, shield for this. Like just mm-hmm. constant kind of thing. And that's cool. But if I sit back and I think future generations, do I want them to learn to do all these things and have to? You know, and I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want them to have to be worried about that. I was talking to, um, I guess she'd be like a cousin niece type thing. And I was looking at her beautiful hair, right? And her mom had twisted her hair and she had these cute little bobbles and it was all so cute. And I looked at her and I thought I would love for her as a grown woman, if she chose to style her hair that way to be able to show up anywhere and still be respected and not have to worry about it. And it's just weird that I thought about because I've just admired the hair. Was, hair looks so cute. And my cousin called me, some God for second time, to show me her hair. She was just coming back from a wedding. And my cousin happens to be a very, very senior drug trial rep, right? So she manages trial rep. She's very well respected, got, had awards in her industry, et cetera. And she had a style. That was 100% black woman hairstyle, right? That she'd gone and had done. It was gorgeous and it looked lovely. And she was just admiring and going, oh my gosh, do you look my hair? Look at it, it's the great. And I thought, wow, isn't it amazing now that you could go to work like that? You could never have done that years ago. But she can. The way she had her hairstyle, she could go to work like that and it'd be okay. Well, that's my hope. My hope is that it keeps... Um evolving because I feel very lucky to be able to see the whole you and not the shields. And I, it has been immensely valuable to my life. And I want that for the world. I want that for, for others. And I want, I want you to not have a personality disorder. (laughs) And not have to think about these things or those thoughts. It's that's exhausting. And so this is definitely something that I personally for myself, but I'm going to imagine for many white people, including anybody that is, you know, in various minority groups, because I do think the anti-black dynamic adds even more to this than some of the other areas. So thank you for letting me pepper you with questions and stuff too. On this one. More so than just even a full conversation. Cause I'm like, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, this is, and, and it's weird. Like I said, it's weird that today just happened to be, you know, kind of the day we were going to talk about this and I happened to be clad kind of the way I am. So it's, uh, it's just, it puts it out there. So thank you everybody for joining us, Trish. Thank you for showing up. Take care. Now, just because the episode is over doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. Come find us on Instagram at Let's Continue the Conversation and let us know what you thought of today's episode and what takeaways you're leaving with. And don't forget to help us spread the word. Screenshot the episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversation. You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over on Let's Continue the Conversation.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.